What's up, everybody? This is Ryan from the Scale Up Show. I have an awesome guest on today. I have Simha Sadasiva on today, who's a co-founder and CEO of Usher. Man, this guy's done some really interesting things. He's ran a $100 million business. Uh, he started off in consulting scaled management teams and platforms, um, actually bootstrapped for four years to revenue positive, then took on VC funding, and is creating a new category, which I think is really sweet, with customer experience automation. So you're not going to want to miss this. Some great insights that he drops. And we'll talk to you soon. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I am Simha Sadasiva, who is the co-founder and CEO of Usher, which is a service engagement platform that leverages data and tech to digitally transform backend processes and conversational interfaces, specifically in the insurance sector. He's had a heck of a journey. He's ran a $100 million business unit before, scaled management teams and platforms, um, and has, has a really unique journey where he started off being bootstrapped and is now taking on funding. And so, Simha, welcome. Welcome to the show, man. Happy to have you on. Delighted to be here, Ryan. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get into your story and what you're doing because you took a unique path out of San Francisco, started off bootstrap, then took on funding. So before we get into all that, um, I want to do a real quick revenue rundown so everyone has some context in terms of where you and your organization are at in terms of the stage of the journey. So when we look at this, what, where are you at in kind of the ARR range? Yeah, so look, I mean, we are a private company, so we don't quite disclose yeah. exact precise numbers. But le let me take a step back and walk you through a typical startup journey, right? I mean, most seed stage companies, and even some Series A companies are pre-revenue. Um, we got to revenue before we raised a round of uh, venture capital. That's why I'm proud of what we have done as a team, as a founding team. Uh, we bootstrapped the business, got our first two really big marquee Fortune 250 companies to use our product and pay money for that, right? So we got to that before we raised a time of institutional investment. And in the past three and a half years since we raised venture capital, we've gone through a rapid, rapid uh, um, growth. We have grown roughly approximately 200%, roughly tripling in size every year since our founding. So we just crossed our series, we finished our series B phase and we are entering our series C phase. So let me just pause there and tell you that, you know, it's getting to be an inflection point where getting noticed. Um, we nice. We're building a brand recognition and brand name uh, for the company. And so with that comes the demand. Uh, that oh yeah. Yeah. Good job, man. You're laying the strong foundation and, to get revenue before even funding is, is a massive um, undertaking and, and a great accomplishment. So congrats on that. So Thank you. what about what about your go-to-market strategy? So what's your primary revenue growth go-to-market strategy that you've leveraged? So we are a SaaS company. We are a SaaS platform. What we conceived of right from day one was to build a platform. That's We, we knew that you know for the industries that we wanted to go after, we were basically building a, a a platform. So we also knew that we were building a horizontal platform, not a vertical uh, 
platform. I mean, in the world of SaaS, you have vertical SaaS companies and then you have horizontal platform companies. So we are the we are sort of like a hybrid of the two because we, from a platform perspective, we are a horizontal platform, but we have a vertical go-to-market motion, right? And that's it's it's somewhat unique to some companies. You, you probably have seen companies succeed both ways, right? Um, going you know vertical SaaS as well as going horizontal. But for us, it made sense for me to build a horizontal platform. But take a vertical go-to-market approach because there was a specific focus in terms of uh, industries that we wanted to, you know, pursue and go after. Um, and uh, look, I mean, it has also been, um, you know, fairly helpful in terms of you know bringing focus to our efforts and initiatives. We are calling on certain ideal customer profiles in certain industries. So we know our persona much better than if we were to be dispersed or chasing multiple verticals. So it's kind of helped us. Mm -hmm. Um, So our journey has been, you know, from early days, we knew that what we were solving was relevant for a lot of different industries, but there were certain industries that were more suited for us to call on first before we went after others. And when I segmented the market, we found that insurance companies and healthcare companies were spending a disproportionate amount of uh, headcount, FTEs, and eventually dollars to service a billion dollars in revenue, right? So it was an order of magnitude different compared to other sectors. And what Usher does, you know, just taking a step back is bringing the most modern customer experience through an automation-first approach. So that's the reason why we say it's customer experience automation. Um, So as a company, our focus is to enable insurance companies, healthcare companies to become a lot more efficient by serving their customers through a self-service-first approach. And in the process, we also bring delightful experiences to end users. And so those two things go hand in hand. The efficiency part that we bring to you know insurers and healthcare companies enables us to kind of uh, ask them to pay big dollars eventually. Yeah, I think. Um, I, well, first of all, I, I think that that's one of the the biggest mistakes that I see companies making, where they have a horizontal solution and they don't vertically focus. So, congrats on you for realizing that, and and I'll tell you why. Like, I've worked with companies before, and I've seen um, them work across fourteen verticals for a horizontal solution, but they'll have 83% of the revenue across three. And that's yeah. not an accident. That's not even intentional, right? So it goes along with what you're saying is a lot of times you'll see that where even though you got a horizontal solution, there'll be certain sweet spots in those verticals that have an exponential value versus other ones that'll have more incremental value. So um, good job on, on identifying that because they see a lot of people walk right by that. And I think um, people are chasing after... Um, to pick up yeah, it's quite tempting, right? Because up. you know, usually, you know, the the stage that companies typically get started, it's all founder-led selling, right? And so, you if you're a founder-led uh, team to begin with, from a sales perspective, your network is wide, and you know, you're you're more likely to run into the distraction of 
bringing on a bunch of different you know prospects who are probably from various different industries and so mm-hmm. it takes extra focus extra effort to to say no i'm not going to do that <laughs> so i think you know, if there's anything that you know i would share it's the temptation of taking the easy route stay away from that and do the hard work early on it's like spring training the the teams that win championship you know world series eventually in october are the ones that put the most amount of effort in spring training in the february march time frame right i mean yeah. for the world of startups i think it's it's a lot you know the effort that you put in early on seed stage series a stage to build the muscle memory to have that discipline and focus i think enables you to run a long race i think you nailed it Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So we covered the rest of it too. I know you mentioned your team, you have about 200 plus on your team right now. And then you're in that that funding series B, moving to the next stage. So um, congrats on that. So how did you get to this point? I guess like, you know, you started off in engineering from what you told me in your your early days, your early background, I guess like, what was the point in time where I don't want to say the apple fell on your head and you realized you needed to to create what you did, but like, what was that moment in time where you had that epiphany or that apple on the head moment where you're like, this is what I need to do. And this is who I need to serve. Look, many things in life are serendipity or accidental. And to me, it was no different either. Um, one of the things about the Valley is uh, there's an infectious or contagious contagiousness about you know, entrepreneurship in general, you know, any party, any weekend get together with friends involves someone talking about wanting to start something new. It could be a small business, you know, our friends who've like gone on to, you know, start small businesses, uh, daycares, you know, preschools and that spirit of uh, starting something ro- Taking that risk is 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 so Silicon Valley, right? I mean, people talk about Silicon Valley in different ways, but to me, I think the contagiousness of you know taking the plunge and knowing that you know you have many different mentors to lean on, to ask for help, to fund you, and to support you along the way, to learn things along the way. That's it's. It's a very big part of Silicon Valley. I think people think that you can transplant it uh, to different parts of the world. I haven't seen it work very well besides what I've seen in Tel Aviv. And I'm seeing something similar in Bangalore, uh, where, I was, where I'm originally from. Uh, so that's one of the things about Silicon Valley. Um, and so for me, um, 
I was telling you, I, I, I was an engineer by training, um, have a computer science degree, was in consulting the first four years, spent the first third of my career building some incredible software. Um, the next third of my career was mostly managing, scaling teams, products, building global teams, running ops functions, uh, meeting customers in 40 different countries. So a lot of battle scars to show how companies can emerge out of being startups to becoming, you know, eventually public companies. Um, so that was ingrained uh, in the second third of my journey. Um, and around the time also was when um, my mother was terminally ill, diagnosed with a condition and both my parents relocated to live with me. I saw the friction and the the the, the drama that goes in dealing with um, healthcare companies and insurance companies navigating through the maze. And, you know, I had to order some prescription drugs for her every two weeks. It was a 25-minute phone call every second week, answering the same <laughs> questions repeatedly. Um, and somebody had to just check a box that, you know, they were getting this information. And I knew that, you know, there had to be a better way. So some of those were all motivations into, you know, taking a plunge and starting Usher. Um, and the name Usher is, you know, someone who gets you where you want to get to if you go to a play or uh, an opera. And the, in, the intentionality of purpose was memorialized with the name of our company. You know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we served um, industries where that customer experience was lacking and we wanted to bring that uh, Usher-like experience to every customer journey. And so um, my co-founder, Henry Peter, is also our uh, CTO. He and I go back to our Bell Labs days back in Chicago, 24, 25 years back. We had built some early products together. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he and I, you know, co-created Usher. We took the plunge of starting Usher. Um, and right from day one, our true north was to make sure that we brought that Usher-like experience to every customer journey with a self-service or an automation-first approach. And here we are. Excellent, man. Well, um, I give you a lot of credit for tackling that problem. That's one of the biggest problems, I would say, insurance and healthcare. And I, I can't even tell you how many times either my wife or myself have had to deal with the insurance company and have been ready to either chuck the phone or the computer out the window because of the frustration that ensues when you're just trying to get a simple answer or to try and get like a, a erroneous thousand dollar charge that shows up on your bill. And then you have to go through a massive phone tree and doesn't get anywhere. So um, props to you for, for tackling that. Cause there's a lot of frustration with that. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, whenever we talk about customer service, customer experience, we often think about the friction because there's a lot of friction, right, in how these companies expect you to meet them. But there's also friction when you, when they try to meet you, right? I mean, if you look at, you know, these companies, when they try to contact their customers because your credit card on file has expired or they need to service your claim and they need some date of birth or some other artifact, that involves friction too, Right. And so it's not just you calling the customer where it's a frictionful ask. It's them trying to reach out to you also. You know, imagine conversion rates when they send emails. 
2%. Mm-hmm. For every 100 emails these companies send, less than 2% of their customers will actually take action. That's the trend because we live in a modern uh, world where it's so noisy. Um, and so the the genesis behind Usher was rooted in the fact that the world was evolving. And the aha moment for me was when a friend texted me. I mean, this was almost a decade ago. And a friend texted me and asked me if it was okay to call me. And I was like, when did you ever need permission to call me? <laughs> you could always call me. If I was busy, you would get to my voicemail. But, you know, it 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 was re- revealing in the sense that it showed that consumer behavior was evolving. The behavior around these modalities, how we engage, interact in a social context was evolving. We are more adept to texting a friend or a family as opposed to calling them. So, that was, again, another aha moment. So I defined the word micro-engagement to, you know, to, to, to define this new behavior where our ability to interact in short, bite-sized you know, messages were uh, more proximal compared to you know, picking up the phone and calling someone. Mm-hmm. And so why not allow businesses to drive these micro-engagements in a way that is very seamless? It's just like you are texting a friend or a family. What if businesses drove that same type of engagement? So that was the journey. That was a starting point for us. And we have doubled down on that notion of micro-engagements and we have found product market fit and we have now expanded into what I call go-to-market fit Product market fit is where we can take a single product offering, platform offering, and show that there's a demand for it and customers can use that. Go-to-market fit is showing the fact that you can do that at scale you know, um, and, and bring some velocity into selling. So we are at that phase where we have demonstrated go-to-market fit and we have an inflection point where we can scale this up. Nice. So what are you doing? What's your plan to, to scale that up then? Like what's going to be your approach with that in terms of staff focus, um, energy resources? What's your plan for that? A combination of, uh, you know, adding some additional routes to market uh, through product offerings, right? Um, previously, we were selling a platform, um, which is basically, you know, available to insurance companies and healthcare companies. And they have, use cases that they can typically deploy, but they're essentially buying a platform. What we are now doing is packaging you know, those use cases uh, that allows us to get more velocity, more scale, uh, without having to deploy a lot of uh, support or sales personnel. So that's part of our uh, go-to-market fit uh, track. And also... Um, other routes to market include uh, partnerships. So we have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, demand from partners now. BPO companies, SI partners, technology partners. And this is, you know, you have to earn the right eventually. You know, this is where the building the brand and showing that this is relevant for, you know, 30, 40 customers will get attention, right, in the industry, in the ecosystems that you play. And now that we have that brand recognition, we are getting a lot of inbound in terms of uh, 
both customers wanting to do um, business with us as well as partners who want to work alongside us and take our solutions because they're seeing how successful our early customers have been. Yeah, I think, um, well, and that brings me to my next question because like you mentioned this and I thought you said, you know, you got two, was it Fortune 250 clients before you took yeah, our funding? Majority of our customers are Fortune 1000 companies. So we're okay. mostly, mostly selling to large enterprises, right? Think about uh, companies that are north of $5 billion in revenue. Um, that's the sweet spot. That was a sweet spot for us previously. And we got good at, you know, landing some of these uh, big logos. And now the next phase of our journey is continuing that while we add additional uh, connective tissue to sell to maybe 500 million and above um, companies that have 500 million and above in revenue. So, Okay. So you're actually moving down market. What would you say, like, is your single biggest challenge when you're trying to grow that, that enterprise segment? Look, it all comes down to, of course, distilling all the problems. Eventually, it comes down to talent, right? Uh, talent in product, talent in building your, uh, you know, key feature set, talent in selling. Um, so, talent is the number one uh, problem statement for any company. If you can crack the code on that, I think you can solve any problem. So. We have done reasonably well. We have an amazing uh, people operations function um, and some rock star um, who's leading that as an executive. Um, and Sarah has done an amazing job for us in terms of uh, building our talent acquisition program as well as our HR business partner program. Um, and so building the product, it's like flying the building the plane as you're flying it. So... Um, a lot of this is similar, you know, uh, we, we are making our products lower touch for support, lower touch for selling. And that has required a lot of uh, uh, rebasing our platform um, as we have grown and as we are growing. Okay, that makes sense. And, and so then when you say, and I'm just connecting the dots here, when you're saying talent, is it on the tech side? Is it on the engineering and development side? Or are there the other majority is on the product side, right? Engineering, um, data scientists. Um, there's just a talent war out there in terms of everyone wants access to the same talent pool. Um, and this is where you have to be differentiated. And being a startup with focus helps because we are now able to, you know, prospective employees are seeing the value of coming and wanting to work at Usher. So that's definitely a good thing um but look i mean even from a go-to-market perspective having the right people on the bus in terms of product marketing in terms of uh, go-to-market functions industry specialists um also sellers who can speak the lingo understand the buying uh, buyer's journey all of this is uh, very, very uh, specialized. Oh, yeah. It's very verticalized for, for us. And so we need specific skills that make that happen. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely, and I ran into this before when we were, we were deep in, um, and a lot of times customers won't tell you, prospect, or prospects or customers won't tell you till after they've been a customer for a while, the real reason why they bought from you. 
um, at a tangible level. They'll tell you why they bought from you, but they won't tell you everything, right? So we were interviewing one of our customers about six months after we had them, and they said one of the the top reasons why they bought from us is because they said everybody else that walked in there at the enterprise level was selling general. And we knew the specific business issues and challenges and KPIs for their vertical, right? And so they love that. So um, I think there's a lot of gold with with what you're talking about there. So we're just about up on time though. Um, and so I think this has been great uh, in terms of like understanding and and you're very calm in the, the way you deliver everything, which you know makes you a great leader, I imagine, because um, people would have tremendous trust in, in what you're doing and what you're building. And so as you're kind of looking out into the future, uh, specifically with what you do and who you serve, I guess, like, what would you say is the future of tech and, and what you're building um, and some of the challenges and opportunities that are going to pop up from it? Yeah, look, I think uh, we are helping define this as a new category. I mean, customer experience automation as a category, we believe is a, is a white space. We believe that this belongs as a category in itself. And we can't be a category of one, right? We can't be the only ones talking about customer experience automation as a category. So we're working closely with a number of analysts in the in the industry to help define what that CXA mandate needs to be. And um, look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm seeing the signs, even big guys like Salesforce, I mean, will talk about you'll see ads from salesforce talk about they don't talk about crm they talk about customer experiences the 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 you know the focus on customer experience is 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 something that will is that that's already here because companies like amazon have definitely set up very high bar in terms of what that ideal customer experience ought to be and so that chasm of what uh, you know, customer experience, that customer experience deficit that you see when you work with, you know, a fifty-year-old insurance company or a healthcare company, or even your utility. I mean, that deficit exists in a number of industries, and the more regulated the industry, the more that deficit is. Talk about government. I mean. The, the amount of friction that you deal with if you have to work with government is incredible. Um, and I look at those as opportunities. Can we bring that same Amazon-like experience to all these industries so we can normalize? And I, I see in the next 20 years to be a massive opportunity for us to bring transformation. I mean, cloud has been there for 20 years Yet 40% of the world is only you know, cloud-enabled today, if you really think about it, I mean, from an enterprise software perspective. So, I mean, this is the bottom of the first inning. Uh, I think that's the way I think about it. It's, you know, eventually what we are trying to do, I mean, we, I, I know we talked about low-code or no-code. While customer experience automation is our core focus, enabling that to be accessible is through what I call citizen developer movement or catering to that citizen developer movement through our no-code first approach. And so there are roughly about 28, 30 million, million developers in the world and roughly about 140, 150 million citizen developers, business teams, business analysts. 
So the chasm again is, can we enable those 150 million um, business analysts or citizen developers to conceptualize, visualize, and bring to life these customer experiences at scale? That's the reason why no code is such a big part of this. So you don't need IT capacity or IT teams to deliver those journeys. Um, and so bringing in all of this in the single platform has been a very thoughtful endeavor for us. And I'm super bullish on uh, the opportunity at, at, at large. Excellent, ma'am. Well, I'm excited for you and what you're building. And um, it, it sounds like you have a great mission in, in, in terms of who you're trying to help and, and the way you're approaching it. So where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Usher? And then we'll wrap things up. Definitely on LinkedIn for sure. <laughs> Happy to be a resource if there's anyone trying to start a company, needing some pointers. I mean, I'm, I don't claim to know answers to every question, but I can certainly, you know, share my experiences and what has worked for me. Uh, so LinkedIn is probably the best way to get hold of me. Um, not on most of the other social media platforms. I consider them to be too noisy for me. <laughs> either you can catch me on a running trail or you can catch me on LinkedIn if I'm not working. So. All right. Excellent. Well, it was awesome having you on the show. Thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all in the next episode. Terrific. Terrific. Thanks, Ryan. Good talking to you. Thank you for checking out the scale up show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.